too early oh. for a beer. <laughs> really? What? <laughs> too Let me tell you about my day. There was a co- first of all, there was it started with a coffee explosion. Okay. Do we want to hear? Not that? as which is not as fun as it sounds because there was literally there was coffee everywhere. Why did it explode? Our coffee maker does that every like once every three years, and today was the day. Uh, Why don't you get a new coffee maker yeah. every two years, eleven months, and twenty eight days? I'm not made of money like you, Jim. Okay. <laughs> and I've just spent the afternoon calibrating or recalibrating it. The coffee? Did we lose Kirk already? Already? Oh, this is going to be good. It's 1.05 in the afternoon on Saturday, August 20th, 2011. And on this week's Media Leper Bebop, a UC San Diego study said that being spoiled didn't ruin people's enjoyment of a story. I wonder if being punched in the face ruins someone's enjoyment of giving out spoilers. Also, does an obscure provision in the copyright law mean that artists can start getting their songs back from the major labels? And finally, am I an idiot for being a Windows guy and not a Mac guy? Tim and Kirk certainly think so, and they'll tell me why in the latest installment of You're an Idiot. All that, and I have Gil Scott Heron, Tune Yards, and Low in my mix. On Media Loper Bebop episode... Talk four- about Spoilers! Spoiler alert. Woo. It's yeah, it's fine to spoil what's in my mix so people can be this is it's not okay, a linear stuff. Oh. already know. Now Let's they now on. they can just they they can stop listening right now. You think people care? They just care about what's in the mix and Okay. Yeah. Now they can stop. Okay, so why don't, we, why don't we do in the mix first then since you've already spoiled it? Tell us tell us about your mix, Jim. Maybe I will. <laughs> fine. Fine, fine, fine. If it's if we're gonna go this way, then we'll go this way. See, it's it's like that Monty fact, Python we episode. Could do where we could do the show in reverse, and we could go straight after the spoiler alert, which we've already done, to your mix. <laughs> straight to Jim is an idiot. No, <laughs> we'll just do it backwards. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's not called spoiler alert. It's called can't stop spoiling. I changed it. Can I be honest, Jim? You yes. sent that link out like how long has it been now? Like two weeks ago? I have not looked at it because I didn't want to ruin this discussion. <laughs> <sighs> and now it's time for In the Mix. Why not, right? Where one of Go us shares it. some of the music he's been listening to recently. This, my, this time it's my turn. I'm Jim. And I'm going to start with, you know what? This doesn't work because we haven't even introduced anybody. Oh. Let's start with the introductions. Well, if we're going backwards, we certainly are going to start with introductions. Well, if we're going backwards, we're we end with introductions. If we're going backwards, we would start with one more thing. One more thing. I'll go. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I just finished reading How to Live in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. <laughs> Highly recommended. Short book, quick read. Very fun, not quite science fiction, not quite literary fiction. Charles Yu, the writer, has written a story about Charles Yu, the time machine mechanic, <laughs> whose father invented time travel and then vanished. What kind of world are we living in that you're reading science fiction, Kirk? It's yeah. not science fiction, is the thing. It's literary fiction with a science fictional, get it, the difference there? Because it's a fictional universe, not a real universe, theme. Tim, does that sound like science fiction to you? 
Kind of. Yeah. All right. Okay. I didn't mean to annoy you, Jim. One more uh, thing. Tim, are you done, Kirk? Yeah. Okay. One more thing. Tim. One more thing. <clears throat> well, um, you know, we all, um, we all kind of missed out on the excitement of the London riots um, in the last couple of weeks. But uh, it was well documented. We got to see a lot of video footage and we got to see a lot of Twitter feeds and everything. And once again, the riot was brought to you by social media. So. Tim, you're cutting out. Are you in the riot zone now? No. Am I cutting out? Not to me. Oh. No. Um, so I would just like to say congratulations, uh, world, on another riot and <laughs> um, celebrating it in style and bringing it to us uh, via the social media and where we got to see policemen beat up on poor rioters and rioters stealing stuff they really didn't need. And Have either uh, of you guys been in a city while like, widespread multi-day riots were going on? Uh, I've only I've been in London when the poll tax riots were on, and the, ironically, we were um, about a mile away, walking around blissfully unaware of what was going on, and we saw them marching down the street, and we just oh that's the poll tax right, but anyway, uh, poll tax demonstration we didn't know until we got home that night that it turned into a full scale riot. But how long did those riots go on? That was one afternoon. Oh no, I'm talking about like L.A. <laughs> Oh, no. When it went on for like five days, which yeah. is comparable to what happened in London. Um, right. There's a point where people just like people who would normally not be doing anything at all like that just get swept away and lose control <laughs> and become rioters. It's amazing. Many, and that's where your TV came from, Kirk? How many TVs did yeah. you get? Because I remember coming over soon after and you had like three or four TVs. Yeah, but now, I mean, what are they worth now? And that's been like almost 20 years. Well, yeah, now but if you got, got 20 years of good use out of them. Yeah, but those, and advertise them as looted during the uh, Rodney King riots. You know, those TVs that it's you history. got... It's history. Own a piece of history. Those TVs that you got in the riots are the ones we now put on the street for free. So. One more thing. I've commandeered Rock's Kindle to read all of the Song of Ice and Fire books back to back to back to back to back. And much of my reading is done during my lunch hour at work. Yeah, I'm one of those people. A couple weeks ago, I forgot my Kindle at home, and I was really kind of pissed, figuring I wasn't going to get my fix of these books. And if you're reading these books, you know, like, <laughs> you just can't really put them down. But that very day, Amazon announced a Kindle Cloud Reader, instant worldwide access to all of the books on her Kindle. So I was able to read it, just not on the Kindle. That's completely and utterly awesome. And I can already see enterprising book clubs taking advantage of it by sharing books via a single Amazon account. Hmm. Would you trust your Amazon, or I'm sorry, would you trust your book club members to access an Amazon account that's attached to your credit card? Yeah, I wouldn't put the credit card Well, yeah, I thought about that. But I'm sure there's a way of doing it and then moving all the cards and then saying, here's the login, here's a login that's not really a login, and then you can change your login when everybody's done. There's definitely ways of doing that. Hey, Kirk, I have an idea. What do you think of this? As a, if, if Amazon or somebody wants to do a book club program, you get it. Because say you have a book club every week or, I mean, sorry, every month or every six weeks, you get, you can buy the, you can basically pay like $5 or something for the book and you get it for six weeks and then it goes away. Can they do that? It would be like a library. Like yeah. a library, yeah. Yeah. Like an extended library for a group of people. Right. 
I'm going to write to Amazon today. I'm sure Amazon is all for it. The problem yeah. is Amazon. the problem is anything that like is is not modeled on a traditional sale publishers are not warm to. And it would be done in such a way that the authors would get screwed, which isn't that always the way it works. We'll talk about that later. Mm. I don't even know what to do next now. Somebody would like to, someone would somebody like to uh, pick Jim you're an idiot. <laughs> you want to start yeah, you want to go, go there next? God damn it, Jim, you're an idiot. Jim, you are an idiot. Well, we'll you know what? We could. Just I just don't understand segment. why we're supposed to say you're an idiot. Yeah, you had like some trumped up discussion we were supposed to have that was supposed to be an excuse. Were we were we supposed to come up with a PowerPoint presentation on why Jim's an idiot? Isn't PowerPoint a Microsoft pro program? All you right, and both, a keynote. You guys are both cutting out. Huh. Are we now? No, you know no. what? You were the one that was cutting out earlier. Jim and I can obviously hear each other because I'm at Jim's and he can hear me fine. So I think it might be the Pasadena line. I'm getting fiber in three weeks. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, good. Are you getting it out of a jar or? <laughs> <laughs> Almost out of AT&T. So last week, first of all, actually, you know what? I'm Jim Connolly and Tim Gaskell is this guy over here. I'm uh, to your right. Yes, and over to my left is Kirk Biglione. In the past. In the past. I'm from the future. Last week, a study was released by UC San Diego that essentially said that spoilers didn't really spoil anything. They took a dozen stories and spoiled them for some people, but not for others. And because the spoiled people were somehow measured as enjoying the stories more than the unspoiled people, the conclusion was that spoilers didn't harm anybody's enjoyment of anything. To conclude that this makes it okay to reveal plot twists or what's going to happen in TV shows or films is sheer idiocy. Yes, we've all spoiled people and we've all been spoiled. And in a day and age of asynchronous viewing across the culture, it's difficult to know the etiquette. But this study, it's fucking ridiculous. They put the spoilers at the beginning of the story. That is not a spoiler. That's a plot point. And in fact, according to the article about the study, quote, Spoilers helped only when presented in advance, outside of the piece. When the researchers inserted a spoiler directly into a story, it didn't go over quite as well. So really, what they were measuring wasn't spoilers, it was whether or not people like non-linear narratives. So that anyone could take this as a defense of spoilers is beyond me. Tim and Kirk, I finished Game of Thrones long before either of you did. How would you have felt had I revealed any of the big plot points about, say, I don't know, Nick or after you'd already gotten invested in the story? Well, you luckily you did not, but I was at work one day. I was in the kitchen, and a couple of animators came in, and they were talking about the show, and one guy said, Kirk, you have finished it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and one of the guys said, what did you think? And the guy said, yeah, I really liked it, but I, I can't believe this. Um, and... I kind of knew either this was before um, and um, I kind of knew both of them had it coming, but I didn't know for sure. And uh, that did kind of sit in the back of my mind for the rest for the rest of the last few episodes. So it was a bit of a spoiler. Um, then they also mentioned something about this in the garage. And um, but I kind of knew that there was something coming with the gigantic hours and everything. I knew something was coming there. I didn't know how it was going to play out. So yes, it was a bit of a spoiler, but no, did it 
did it change my enjoyment? Not really. How do you know? How do you know you wouldn't have enjoyed it more had that particular thing happened without you knowing anything well, about it? No, you're right. I was a bit annoyed, and this is why I do not watch uh, for shows like this and Battlestar and Sopranos, all those. I would never watch a next on preview, never, because I don't want to know what's coming up. But you know, in the in the odd instance where it's it has happened, it hasn't actually destroyed my 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 viewing pleasure but it has it can definitely change it or diminish it i think we just lost kirk you there jim i'm here we lost kirk you need to dial him in i'm going to kirk yeah you explain yourself <laughs> what is there to explain you keep going awol i i keep you you keep getting fuzzy and then you're gone was there a spoiler in there yes but here's another type of spoiler that absolutely doesn't affect anything. When somebody oh, tries, when someone tries to you're, explain, you're gone again. A are we? John, Jim, I'm it's here. Totally messed up. Wait, hang on. There's a problem with this call. Oh fuck you, Skype. Maybe Pasadena's been wiped out. Like some sort of nuke thing. That's what I'm. I'm. I'm hoping it's not. But or are you secretly hoping that it is? No. 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 <laughs> oh, let me try this again. Hello. You're kind of messing up our flow, Chris. Is there a problem here? Yeah. You know, just tell me how it ends. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> the spoiler is that we don't get to finish the podcast. Terms of endearment. God damn it. Uh. <laughs> Remember that goddamn movie, Terms of Endearment? I love that movie, yes. By all means, Kirk, Randy tell the story. Randy Reed is all, I've never really liked Shirley MacLaine. Okay, first of all, what the hell is Randy Reed's problem? And what, is, what problem does he have with Shirley MacLaine? Anyway, someone in that movie died. And I had no problem, like, delivering the spoiler immediately after his, uh, what did they call it? He called his, it movie he, review. He, so you have no problem with spoilers, basically. You know, there are only so many stories, right? Right. It's yes. all in the details, I guess. There's variation. It's in the implementation. It's right. the experience. The, the story should be good enough that even with the spoiler, the experience is such that it's still worthwhile. What about the author's intent? What about the, what, what about taking the author's intent? Once the author releases it to the world, anything goes. And, and I mean, it's like, it's like, oh, I don't want my book to be read in digital, so I won't release the ebook. That's I a mean, completely different thing. No, it isn't. It's like the author wants you to experience it the way the author wants you to experience it, on paper, with the smell. But I'm talking about... Talking the, about the Harry Potter books, I'm, sir? I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about the 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 medium by which you experience i'm talking about the 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 way the story unfolds right yeah because here's the thing is there there are certain kind of spoilers where you know you know at the end of the story the hero's either alive or dead and if in usually it's the journey and you know if there's sequels you know the hero will be alive so there's no real spoiler saying that he's alive but there are little instances throughout the story little things that you can know that you know, are better to better revealed as you go along, but the overall 
the overall story arc you you kind of know going into it. Um, there are certain things like people trying to relate comedy spoilers to you that doesn't work because comedy is all about the delivery, the timing, and you know the impl- implementation of the joke. Anybody can tell you anything about a comedic scene in a movie, and it's not going to spoil it because you have to see it. It's well, yeah. I mean, there's a difference between Airplane and Casablanca, right? I mean... Casablanca was a little bit funnier. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, Though no, Casablanca was actually technically... Technic, technically, Casablanca was spoiled for me because I saw Play It Again, Sam, first. Right. Have you seen the Casablanca um, Airplane mashup on YouTube? It's great. No. I think they're made that perfectly. Up. They're perfectly. It's just. It's awesome. Two great movies. <sighs> Moving on. What did we decide? Spoilers. <laughs> we decided that Kirk doesn't mind spoiling things. I'm really against it, and Tim's in the middle. Yep. Actually, being the spoiler sometimes can be kind of fun. That's <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm afraid of right there. Is the people who enjoy being the spoiler. The problem, the pro, the thing is, you know, there's like Shakespeare has, you know, half a dozen plays that are called the tragedies, and you kind of know they're going to end bad. Does that be? Does that mean they're spoilers if we call them the tragedies? No, <laughs> Jesus Christ! There's a completely different thing between being part of a genre or a type of 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 art, and oh, by the way, Hamlet's too much of a pussy to do the thing, right? Thanks for giving that one away. <laughs> yeah, well, and by the way, everyone dies. 500 years. Everyone dies. Pretty much everyone dies. Othello, same thing. Everyone dies. 500 years, I think, is okay to spoil stuff, which is a whole other a whole other issue, which we are actually going to do the Medial Upper Guide to Spoilers at some point where we're trying to figure out what the right etiquette is. And the answer is there is no answer, actually. Capital thanks, letters. Thanks for spoiling it, Jim. Capital letters, spoiler <laughs> alert. That's the protocol. This podcast is brought to you by the Durosport Electronics Company, the makers of the world-famous Prism Durosport 6000 and the upcoming DuroCloud music player. The cloud player is so revolutionary that it doesn't even need a physical device. The music is the cloud. The cloud is the music. Your music need never to leave you ever again. That's the DuroCloud music player. It just works. Duh. What happens when it rains? I'm getting one, by the way. It just works, Kirk. There's no you don't have to worry about it. If if it doesn't work, well, I mean, I don't know for sure because this is the copy they gave us as part of the lawsuit. So um, holds up to a whole album at a time, right? No. I don't. I, I don't. Honestly, I don't know I anything. It, dep- it depends on the album. I don't know anything more about it than than I guess we'll put a link to their website on the podcast on the on the page. There's a new battleground in the ongoing war between artists and major labels, and it's a potentially huge one. Back in the mid-70s, the copyright law was changed so that musicians, like other artists, were granted what was called termination rights, allowing them to regain control over their work, provided they ask at least two years in advance. This law goes into effect starting with recordings from 1978, which means that people who sold shitloads of records that year and subsequent years would theoretically get their masters back. Of course, the RIAA has a different theory, that the artists were doing, quote, work for hire and were just employees doing what the company told them. So, for example, Bruce Springsteen released Darkness on the Edge of Town in 1978, every single note of which had been agonized for three years by Bruce. 
how is it possible that anybody could find that he was an employee of Columbia Records and not an independent contractor? Well, especially when he got an advance <laughs> on his royalties and, and recorded with that advance and then didn't get royalties until the advance had been recouped because it was a loan against future earnings and got no benefits from the label and didn't get a paycheck from the label. <laughs> Nothing about it is, is that sort of employ, employee relationship. They're just grasping at straws. They're, they're, they're desperate. I mean, it's, it's so funny that they've been trying to point to, you know, piracy and, and technology and all of these other things as being, you know, a, a, opposed to copyright law. And now, ultimately, one of the things that's going to be their undoing is copyright law. So one of the one of the other questions too is, it's like say Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel or someone who's an American. There's there's no, I mean, they have a better do they have a better claim than say like you know Pink Floyd or or the Stones or someone like that. Well, this this is really where the questions are because copyright is not international. Every country has a different law, and so. There, you know, this is the U.S. copyright law. So for someone like Bruce Springsteen, for his U.S. label, that's pretty easy to figure out. But what happens with, you know, foreign artists, Did or for the release of work, it, it, it's going to come down. Some of that's going to come down to interpretation of the contract, regardless of the international implications. Just for the U.S., right? You know, where it's like biggest music, biggest legal music market in the world. All the labels are located here. Look at no, all, all, well, it started out that way. In 78, that was the case, certainly. But, you know, with, yeah, with consolidation and... EMG or, you know, EMI yeah, and those... Right, right, right. Their operations here, though, have to abide by U.S. copyright law. Mm. It's going to be chaos, and you're, they're throw, the labels are throwing out these, you know, <laughs> unbelievable arguments. They're just going to try to keep it in court as long as they can to to prolong it any way they can. It's going to be ugly. Well, some artists some artists are saying that they're just going to exercise their rights and leave it up for the labels to sue them. Right. Well, some artists are big enough that they can they can pay for that because they've already got enough you know royalties from songwriting or whatever to be able to do that. But if you, I'm looking at a list of some of the some of the recordings that could revert back to people, and I mean we're talking huge back catalog, and we know that you know back catalog is cash cow for major labels because yeah. they don't have to worry about any sort of development costs; they it's just worry about repackaging costs. And this is the reason for this reversal of rights or reversion of rights is because on that sort of investment for anything that's going to make money, they made their money back a long time ago. So right. they can't even make a moral claim. The business, the business relationship has concluded successfully. Now the artist should get their rights back. Well, hang on. Time out. Um, you say they made their money a long time ago. That's not always the case because they're, they're – Number one, a lot of the, a lot of songs, especially in Europe in the UK, they get re-released at some point. You know, twenty years later, they go to the top of the charts, and there's a whole new revenue stream there. They get licensed for a commercial, whole new revenue stream there. But um, what's the deal with with licensing a song for a commercial for a TV ad or something? Does the record company get money, or does that go straight to the artist, or do they both get it? It depends on um, how it's licensed, and I think it depends on um, 
who has well there, there will always be publishing royalties and right. uh, the label usually depending on the agreement gets a big chunk of publishing so the labels right. would yeah I'm not saying that there's no money to be made on these recordings in the future I'm saying the cost of producing and manufacturing and distributing they earned out decades ago the cost of sales is done basically yeah. if if they were going not everything earns out but the ones the biggest hits earned out decades ago i mean well there's another thing too is that like i'm looking at a list and and i'll i'll link to the new york times article that 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 we're talking about here some of these are records that were all the music was recorded in 197 and released in 1978 or at least released in 1978 were but there's also things like Steve Miller's greatest hits, which go back four or five years. So some of those songs were actually done 74, 75, 76, 77. Would the labels be able to at least say, look, these songs, Fly Like an Eagle, uh, Jet Airliner, or whatever, were not released originally in 1978? Or is it the configuration of the album that is what counts? It has to be the initial. If if this is a claim of reversion of copyright because it's part of the copyright law, it has to be when it was originally copyrighted. So that configuration. So maybe the label can't release that configuration anymore. But if the songs were earlier, they're under a different. You know, they're under the older copyright law. Can you imagine a world where Steve Miller's greatest hits seventy four seventy eight does not exist? No. <laughs> It'll be Steve Miller's greatest hit, 78. No, <laughs> se- 74, 77. The other thing is, do you think some artists will uh, want some of their recordings back? I think some of them, they'd be quite happy to say, no, you keep them. <laughs> like Journey? Uh, like, Well, actually, Journey, they probably like their own music. Right. But, uh, you know, you've always read about artists who kind of disown their albums or an album in their career like uh love beach you think emerson lincoln palmer want the masters to love peter frampton's i'm in you (laughs) um you know there are there's always the exception that they're just going to be like yeah you keep that one this is jim Connolly with a musical moment to die for I know that you know this song, Won't Get Fold Again by The Who, from their 1971 super mega classic, Who's Next? And I know that you've probably heard it zillions of times and might even be sick of it, or hell, even think it's overrated. But for the next couple of minutes, imagine that you're a 14-year-old kid, and you really haven't heard too much by The Who, and in fact, you've never heard anything like this kind of controlled chaos. It's quite literally the first time your entire life you're experiencing a song that's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And after the last chorus of the song, everything begins escaping, and the song becomes nearly all chaos. The guitar keeps piling on and on and on, and the drummer becomes a perpetual motion machine, and that weird crazy organ sound that started the song and has permeated the entire thing is fading in, and suddenly it all just crashes. And after a couple of strums of acoustic guitar, wow, there was an acoustic guitar also? All that's left is that weird crazy organ sound.
And just like that, the Who becomes your favorite group of your teenage years. And for the rest of your life, you struggle with how they almost immediately begin destroying their legacy. The endless recycling of Tommy, the post-Keith albums, the reunion tours, Pete Townsend's ambivalence toward his audience, all of it. But just when you want to reject them totally, you flash back to the first time you heard The Who, and you remember that you'll never hear anything like them ever again. That was Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who, a song that contains a musical moment to die for. When we first started Midi-Loper Bebop, part of the reason was that the three of us have had conversations like this since the mid-80s. And occasionally over the years, we've come across topics where one of us had something that he either loves or hates, and that love or hate is absolutely incomprehensible to the other two. That's the impetus for this segment, You're an Idiot, where two of us try to convince the third of the error of his ways. This time, I'm the idiot. And here's why. I'm a Windows guy, not a Mac guy. Gentlemen, start the berating. I don't even understand why this is a thing. This is so 80s or 90s or... Yeah. So Jim, I mean, what's what's the point, Jim? You're a Windows guy. Good was, for you. <laughs> was it Windows? Was it Windows eighty ninety five or Windows eighty five that got you going? What was what 95. was the thing that was it ninety five? What do you mean got me going? Yeah. What what is it that got you kind of in the Did, Windows? How long have you forever? been using? How long have you been using Windows, Jim? Um, since I got my first PC in nineteen ninety three. And what version of Windows is that? It was three point one. Oh well, I started with three which really was the revolution. But before that, I was with DOS, Microsoft DOS. Right. Oh, yeah. So I, you know, I started on that end of the computing spectrum, and so I use Mac now. I don't. So what's what's? Why are you supposed to be an idiot? Here's the thing. I think you're. I don't think you're an idiot, Jim. I think you're a hypocrite. Is what I think. Ooh, oh, that's so much better. <laughs> why? What kind of laptop do you have? I have two laptops. I have a. I have three laptops. I actually have two Sony VIOs, one of which I broke the 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 input key on, and I have Roxas old um, MacBook Pro. And what is the problem with the MacBook Pro? Well, I mean, which which laptop do you use the most? Um, I use the MacBook Pro because it's in the front room and it's smaller and it's easier to look up look up oh, stuff on and the internet. Because it's a laptop, you can't move it anywhere, right? So your laptop is a Mac, and what kind of phone do you have, Jim? Um, an iPhone. <laughs> okay. And what did your wife just get given? <laughs> an iPad. An iPad. Uh, oh, and, and, what's what your, I... and what's your next phone going to be, Jim? Um, I don't know yet. The the i oh, don't even get me started on the iPhone. iPhone five. Yes, probably, probably an iPhone Over. five. But 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 that's. We're not talking. So more, tell, no, tell no, no, us, no. tell us how you're a Windows guy, Jim. We're not talking. Tell okay. us all about that Windows thing. How's that working out? Okay. You, so the, the 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 machine that I am recording this podcast upon and will edit it on is a Dell running Windows Seven. Okay. I want to ask you another question, Jim. Okay. How many laptops have you had in the last thirteen years? Or desktops. Or, no, how many laptops have you gone through in the last five years? Okay. You said you have three laptops now. Why do you have three laptops? In the last five years? Um, one, actually. This, this, this second Mac right here. Or the second, oh. I'm sorry, the second PC right here. Because Rox's, I, when, Rox, when I bought Rox her, her, her beautiful silver MacBook, I took her old one. But why do you have two Sony Vios? 
because I broke the keys on one of them. Okay. That was my fault. That wasn't that. And by the way, by the way, the same issue is on one of the Mac laptops. The Mac laptop that I use. And no, it's the just, issue is you. It's not yeah. the not the computer. Exactly. So that's not a Windows or a Mac thing. That's a that's that's user error. Exactly. I seem to remember over the last several years that you've been through more laptops than that. No, no. Um, how how long does your average Windows laptop last? This 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 one vial right here has lasted I don't even know since two thousand and four maybe. Okay, but the the let's let's go over a couple of things I want to go through. First of all, is it the machinery or the software that you prefer? It's the software. It's the software because the machinery is is. Is horrible. Let's let's just be honest about it. What do you mean? The machinery is horrible. The via the what? Are, the, they're all ugly. They're heavy. They're they're they're, they're heavy. Square. Absolutely. They're they're just they're, they're just hard to look. They're so not, something that's prettier to hold is always a better thing. Yeah, that's what I tell my no, wife the, every day. But the, no. the unibody compu- the unibody laptops are just incredible in terms of the build quality. They're so solid. They're just you know they're. Honestly, the reason, the only reason I don't like this second laptop has nothing to do with, with anything but the fact that I just got a two, it's just too big. 17 inch, 17 inches. Go ahead, guys, get ready for this. 17 inches is too big. Well, yeah, that is a bit big. Yeah, and that was my mistake. Tim, when I bought it. you were supposed to say that's what she said. Okay, okay, can we try that over again? So, 17 inches is just too big. <laughs> that's what she said. I don't think he got that right. What do you think, Kirk? No, timing was, yeah. Okay, let me try this one right. So the only reason I have a problem with this second... Spoiler alert, that's what she said. (laughs) The only reason I have... Fuck, there's no point in doing the joke now. Kirk spoiled it. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure people are glad that we're back. Okay, so what is it it about the software that you love so much that makes you an idiot? And why don't you like the Mac? Windows. What, what is it about the Mac that doesn't work for you? Yeah. You guys know that I think. Okay, I have a list. Okay. 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 Yeah. One. If, if I fall asleep, wait. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> set I'm, the alarm. Okay. Go. One. Windows Explorer. To yeah, me, maps list. to my brain. It's west. It's nested, well-organized lists. Okay, that I create. It's so much easier. And by the way, the UI for Windows Explorer better than the UI for Finder. And I need to know where all my files are. I need to be able to find st- the files that I have created and used. So, Jim, Jim, so Finder, okay, versus Explorer. Yeah. Here's my thing, because I've worked with Windows for over a decade. I've worked now with OS X for over a decade. And I've worked with Unix as well. And I've determined that the one thing I don't like on any operating system is the file navigation. The file management system never works for me on any operating system. No version ever worked for me on Windows. I don't like Finder on Mac. I always end up getting a secondary program. Right. So on Windows, I had like Norton Navigator and some other one I can't even remember now. And on Mac, I use Pathfinder. Okay. Can you get that in the App Store or do you have to buy it as a separate? I think you have to buy it as a separate because I think it violates the rules of the App Store because it replaces default functionality that's built into the operating right. system. So, so just remaps everything in, in a format that you like. It pops up a window that has 
all kinds of options. It's like a power user file management utility where you can do multi-panes. Right. So there's got, a like way a shelf where you can put things while you drag them around, right. set up your folders any way you want, terminal window that opens up, bat wings that open. It does everything. Gotcha. And it's a okay, third-party cool. solution. It's a third-party. Just like I would use on Windows because I, in, Windows Explorer sucks too. No. Okay. It, well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that both operating systems could do better in file management. So go on, number two. Jim, Jim you're the idiot, not Kirk. Remember, <laughs> remember the focus of this piece. Two, software availability. Hey, Kirk, oh. um, when I see you next, you're going to give me that Plextor Convert X, right? Yeah. That doesn't work on a Mac, but works on Windows. Which is what? It's, it's a way to convert my remaining VHS tapes to digital files. I'm, I'm so glad you brought this one up, Jim. <laughs> it's a six-year-old piece of software, a five-year-old piece of, I'm sorry, it's a five-year-old piece of hardware that um, just doesn't have drivers. They didn't do drivers for Mac. Uh, for newer pieces of hardware, you're getting a lot more of that sort of thing. But that's not, I mean, name a peripheral that doesn't work with a Mac now that's released today. Uh, I have another question. Can you name something on VHS that you can't find on YouTube? Um, yes, your wedding video. I put that up on my. It's on my website. <laughs> my <got> wedding video. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's on his website too. <laughs> my wedding video. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen that. Three. <laughs> Price. I'd rather spend seven hundred dollars <laughs> four years and fifteen hundred dollars every six years. Especially when I, and this, this goes back to when I first bought a computer back in the 90s. It seemed like people who espoused Macs either got into them because they came from a rich family or they got into them at college. And I had to pay for my own computers. I, you know what, Jim? I have to pay for my own computers. I've always too. paid for mine. <laughs> and and <laughs> price, price is not, you know, just on the hardware alone now, price is comparable for the configuration that you get. For the configure, if you actually match a, a comparable hardware from a reasonable like Dell or something like that to, to, to Mac, there's not that much price differential. And then when you add in all the software that comes with the system, it's, it's, it starts to skew Mac as, as being a better deal, especially over the life of the computer. You could look at the price you pay when you walk away from wherever you bought it, but there's more that goes into owning a computer than just that price. No, I know. I have, but I also have an HP that's 10 years old that would still boot up and work fine. It's just, you know, doesn't have the amount of RAM anymore, and it's a 10-year-old computer. So I don't. I, I got I a 13-year-old like iBook that doesn't have much RAM and still I can use on the internet. Well, I so, have a 14-year-old. No, and for the cult of Apple. I'm not a religious man, so the cult of Mac is particularly annoying. It used to be the apologists hated, the Mac people hated Microsoft because they were all powerful and Apple was a scrappy underdog. But now Apple's like the most powerful, most capitalized country, or company in the entire world, we said country again, company in the entire world, and the cult still act like it's a scrappy underdog. Guys, what's up with that? Well, we're sitting here having to convince you, so... Um, doesn't doesn't the cult of Mac doesn't the get a Mac for every single thing 
<clears throat> bug the shit out of you? No, only because I like the user experience. I cannot stand the user experience when it comes to a Windows machine or Windows software, Microsoft software. I hate the experience. And I've just been, like, for instance, lately I've been using um, new updated versions of their traditional, you know, package, the Office Suite, you know, and it's horrible. To me, Windows is just, you know, Windows and Office, they're, they're part of the same, ex they're, like Tim was saying, it's, it's, it's all the same experience. And the other thing is, Jim, it's, it's a unified bad experience. Let, let's, put it in, let's put it in a food context. You're McDonald's, okay? Okay. Okay. I have great fries. You, and yeah, so you have one out, out of their whole menu. You have one. Well, I thing love fries. I love fries more than just about anything. So right. fries are like McDonald's Xbox, and they're not good for you. So, just like Windows. <laughs> so if I eat nothing but Windows, it's going to kill me. Have you looked at the calorie count on Windows lately? So I have one more question: John Hodgman or Justin Long? We need to have a talk about how the things you see on TV are not like real life. I'm just asking you, John Hodgman or Justin Long? John Hodgman was was what they had representing PC people. Justin Long, and hipster douchebag, what they had representing Mac people. You know what kind of computer John Hodgman uses? I'm sure he uses a Mac, of course. Right. But that's not how they marketed but it, was it? he's funny. You see, he's funny. Like most Windows users, he's funny. So Mac users are dour so, and hipster? So we're laughing, we're laughing at you, not with you. Actually, well, you're right. You guys convinced me I'm going to go buy a Mac immediately as soon as I you're get $4,000. You're, 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 you're already using one. Max. Everything I turn, everything, every place I, everywhere I turn in this house, I see a Mac. And you're espousing Windows and, and Microsoft and I'm just PCs. I'm just espousing that I will always have a Windows machine. That's all. Good luck to you. I don't, you know, let's be honest. As Mac, one Mac user to another, do we really want someone like Jim being a yeah, Mac we user? Yeah, we, yeah, we don't want him. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, and you know what? Apple's doing just fine. Now it's time for in the mix. You already did in the mix. No, I didn't. Wait, I didn't. Hang on. I've got horrible. Johnson cover. Oh sh! God damn it! What? I'm gonna. I have to start that over again. I just had recording end and recording show up on my. This is just the worst thing ever. You're on a PC. You're having problems with PC? your Windows machine. No, I'm having problems with the software. The PC software, yeah. Yeah. You were cutting out the whole time. I, I was. A word you were saying. All right. Well, there's you. What is going on? <laughs> I don't know. Actually, I lost the internet. You lost the internet. I lost the internet. Yeah. Jim lost the internet. I see. Wouldn't happen if you had a Mac. All right. Should I try that again? The whole in the mix thing. We're not done with that. I, this is like the fourth time you've done it, Jim. I've not. So pick up where you left off. And now it's time for in the mix. Anyway, fuck that. I didn't pay a lot of attention to Gil Scott Heron's music until after he died, but I picked up a copy of his 2010 "I'm New Here." After that, and was struck by his cover of Robert Johnson's "Me and the Devil Blues," which on one hand sounded completely contemporary. No small feat for a Robert Johnson cover in 2011. And on the other hand, sounded as if he and the devil had been locked in a room together for the past thousand years. And might be the greatest Robert Johnson cover ever. Me and the devil Walking side by side And I'm going to see my woman Till I get satisfied 
Cheryl Garbus, the, re- the woman who records this tune yards, seems to have found the secret to being experimental. Make sure you stick that weirdness on top of some killer rhythm tracks and add real melodies up top. That's the secret behind her strangely compelling Who Kill album, and especially this track, Pala. discovered low recently on 2005's the great destroyer but i think their new album come on is as good as anything i've heard this year and i doubt i'm going to hear anything more beautiful than this velvet underground rip nothing but heart Back in 1992, I went to London to visit Tim, and one of the things we did, of course, was go record shopping. One of the things I bought there was an REM bootleg called Stab It and Steer It. One of the songs on the CD was a thing called Bad Day, a rip-roaring demo for Life's Rich Pageant that I fell instantly in love with. Unfortunately, the sound quality was abysmal, so I could only hope for the day, the good day, when Bad Day would be officially released. In 2003, it seemed like that day might come when I found out it was going to be part of the WB, the Warner Brothers years, singles compilation called In Time. However, that was a brand new re-recorded version with different lyrics and a much more pointed political point of view. I liked that version a lot, just like yet another version that showed up on the Rarities disc of the 2006 IRS and I Feel Fine compilation. And yet, neither one of them I liked as much as that original version I found in that bootleg store in 1982. So I figured I'd never ever actually hear that in a nice official release version until last month when the 25th anniversary edition of Life's Rich Pageant came out. And sure enough, on the disc of the Athens demos that came with it was my version of Bad Day. Yes, my. Broadcast me a joyful noise into the times, Lord, count your blessings, if not a Replete with some of the sloppiest harmonica ever and Michael Stipe singing the much more personal Please Don't Take My Picture lyrics instead of the re-recorded Please Don't Take A Picture lyrics. One of the great Lost Orium songs, even though it was a single, and even though it's been re- released three times. Bad Day. Great song. Great song. Either way. One more thing. Just kidding. <laughs> we so, lost Kirk. Did we lose Kirk again? Yep. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to call Kirk again right now. Um, hi, uh, this is Jim Connolly, and it's now a day later, and I've just finished editing the podcast. And since we didn't get to record a proper closing, I figured I could now tell you what happened yesterday afternoon at the end of the sh- 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 podcast. Though we searched and we searched, 
neither Tim or I could locate Kirk via Skype, and after several agonizing and fruitless minutes, we gave up because, our, well, our beers were getting warm. And so, for all we know, Kirk is still missing from Skype. Of course, I knew about all this when I started editing the podcast, but I figured it could wait till the end of the episode because I didn't want to ruin anything for any of our loyal listeners. The next step is to get in touch with Cafe Press and get some Where's Kirk t-shirts and bumper stickers printed. So that's it for um, Media Leopard Bebop episode 14, Can't Stop Spoiling. Um, I'm I'm Jim Connolly. I'm a little stunned right now, so you'll have to excuse me. And on behalf of Tim Gaskell and Kirk Biglione, come back, buddy. Come back to Skype, wherever you are. Come back, please, okay? It's, It's okay. Thanks for listening to our podcast, such as it was, and we'll catch you soon, hopefully. Same Bebop time, same Bebop channel. Mm